If you got your Bibles, get to Romans chapter 3. We are going to be in verses 27 through 31. That's Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. Get there quickly. If you don't know where Romans is, ask your neighbor for help. They should know. We've been in it long enough. Where is Romans? Just put your finger there. Uh, A couple weeks ago, my family and I uh, went to Michigan City because I got a gift card and I wanted to spend that gift card. I don't know about y'all. Some of y'all be wasting gift cards. I I don't do that. And so as we're down in Michigan City, right in the middle of all the stores was this trampoline bungee cord jumping thingy, whatever it was. And so I'm with my son, and Dakai says, Daddy, uh, can I jump on the trampoline bungee cord thingy? And so, of course, me being a a good father, not a good, good father, uh, but a good father, uh, I said, sure. And so I walk up to the guy who was working there, and I said, sir, uh, how much is it for my son to jump on your trampoline bungee cord jumping thingy? And he said, it will be $10. I said, okay. I said, for how long? He said, five minutes. I said, you want to run that back to me again? If I break that down, that's $2 a minute. You're not making $2 a minute off me. And so I look at Dakai and I said, Dakai, I don't think you're going to be able to jump on this because I'm not giving this guy $10 for you to jump for five minutes. So the guy began to argue with me and say, sir, usually the kids don't want to jump that long. I said, you should see my couch at home. Dakai loves to jump. I'm sure he's going to want to jump more than five minutes. You're not going to play me, all right? And so anyways, me and him negotiate a little bit, and he finally says, okay, I'll let him go a little longer. So Dakai gets in. They strap him in. He's on his way to a good time. He starts jumping, and to his chagrin, No matter how high he was able to jump, he was destined to come back down. No matter how far up he went, he was not up there forever. At some point, he had to come back down. No matter how powerful your legs are, son, you must come back down. And if you've been in school uh, long enough or if you made it past the third grade, you know why he didn't stay up there. You know why he didn't float. It was that famous scientist, Newton, that came up with the phrase, what goes up must come down. down. Why? Because of gravity. Gravity calls everything to come back down. Gravity brings everyone low and it puts us all on ground level. But what is causing this gravity here on earth? What is pulling everything back down? It is the massive weight of the earth that is pulling on you and bringing you back down. Every time you jump, earth says, no, you don't. Come on back down. Uh, Newton called this the law of universal gravitation. Everybody say universal gravitation. Gravitation. Why? Because no matter where you go on this green earth, there is gravity. But we didn't come here for a science class, did we? Friends, my hope is that you have been feeling the weight of the gospel. The massive weight of the gospel. 
And my hope is that if there is any arrogance or self-righteousness among us, the gospel has been pulling us back down to reality. Because no matter how great we think we are, no matter how high up we think we have climbed in God's economy, no matter how high we jump with our strong self-righteous legs, the massive weight of the gospel keeps bringing us back down to the foot of the cross. The gravity of the gospel brings us back down to the foot of the cross. The gospel says, if you're one inch off the ground, you're too high. Because God's law of universal gospel gravitation is all sinners who will find salvation must be brought down to the foot of the cross. The gospel produces humility. It produces meekness in us. And this morning, Paul explains how this law works. But first, let's review what we've been learning, church. We have been learning through Romans just how sinful we are. Amen? We humans who are made in the image of God to bring glory to God actually trample on the glory of God. Therefore, we are guilty and the wrath of God is on us. How can people who have so belittled and so dishonored the glory of the infinite God ever be set right with God? The answer is given in Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26 which we have been going over these last weeks. The answer is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to suffer and die in the place of proud, ungodly sinners so that four things would happen. This is what John Piper says. That the damage or the injury we have done to God's glory through our pride and sin would be repaired because Jesus gave his life to glorify the Father. We see that in Romans 3, verse 23 and 25. Number two, so that the wrath of God would be absorbed by Jesus and turned away from us as he gives himself as a, you remember this word from last week, propitiation. Any big word I can say, I try to celebrate because I don't get many of them. <laughs> propitiation by his blood shedding. Number three, an infinitely valuable ransom would be paid to release us from the guilt of sin, the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And number four, the gospel, the righteousness of God would be demonstrated and vindicated through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God dies for us. He vindicates us. And he vindicates himself through the cross. Last week, we find out that love and justice meet at the cross so that God remains just in the justifier of those who do, who do what? Put their faith in who? Jesus Christ. Now, today, I want to talk about what the gospel ought to do to us, namely make us humble. Let's pick up at the verse, verse 27 in chapter 3. And what becomes of your boasting? kind of law? By a law of works? By the law of faith.
apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? God is one who would justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. He did overthrow the law by, his fa- by, by this faith. By no means. On the contrary, he upholds the law. All right, let's dive into this verse. Number one. I thought I was going in and out. Is this good? Oh, yeah. Hello. Welcome to Bethel Gary. No, I was just playing. All right, y'all, let's get back in the text. I'm messing around. All right, so number one, the law of no boasting. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. If we can be honest this morning, we all boast in something or someone. The question is, what do you boast in? What do you brag in? Where do you find your identity? Where do you find your confidence this morning, church? Is it in how moral you are? How well you raise your children? Is it in your bank account? Is it in your house? Or the young people, if you listen to their songs, is it in a gun? What is it? Tim Keller suggests that what we boast in actually defines us because it is where we draw our identity from. The greatest danger with misplaced confidence is one day it will fail you. Whatever you put your hope in outside of God, one day it will fail you and come crashing down on your head. You better be careful where you place your confidence. Now, God has designed and engineered and constructed the gospel in such a way that human boasting cannot exist. Let me say that again. God has designed and engineered and constructed the gospel in such a way that human boasting cannot exist. Our confidence in boast must be in God. Why? Well, if you didn't know, God hates pride. In fact, pride is the very thing that got us in our dilemma. Thinking that we were God is what got us in trouble in the first place. Some of y'all still think y'all God. Pride says in his ugliest form this, I want the glory of God. Or, I want to be the center of the universe. I want to be the center of everybody's affection. I want to be the center of everybody's attention. Or, put it plain, I want to be God. Or, I refuse to give glory to God with my life. We see this in the beginning of Romans 1, remember? Even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks. Pride stops us from worshiping God rightly and truly. Pride puts a stop, puts a pause on your worship. You cannot worship God and be prideful at the same time. It is impossible. 
when it comes to salvation, we want the same thing. Hear me clearly. Come up close and listen. We want to boast in our ability to save ourselves. All of us, saved or unsaved, still wrestle with this. Therefore, the gospel is so hard for people to accept because there is no boasting in the gospel for human beings. This is why the gospel is so hard to believe because there is no glory in the gospel for you. No boasting, no glory. God displays us as helpless little worms in the gospel. The gospel displays us as villains and God as the superhero. We are unrighteous sinners. We are rotten to the core, hopeless, wicked, depraved, and heading to hell is what the gospel says. And what's glorious about that? What's the boasting about that? Hey, I'm a helpless little worm, and I'm wicked to the core. Look at me. The contradiction, it can't happen. And you know what happens to the human heart when he hears the truth of, uh, when we hear the truth of our nature? You can't sit under that too long if you're prideful. Eventually, you're going to say, I need to go somewhere else where they'll tell me about how I can get rich, where they can tell me how I can have a good life, where they can tell me where there's no suffering. I don't want to hear about me being a helpless little worm. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear how strong I am. I want to hear how great I am. I want to hear about how God saw the best in me when everyone else saw the worst in me. No, God saw the worst in you and still saved your tail. Reminds me of a seminary professor that wanted to teach his students a lesson on grace. He told his students to be sure to study for the test tomorrow. The next day, when they all came to class, many people were still studying last minute for the test. At the start of the class, the professor started passing out the test after he said, leave them face down on the desk until everyone has one. Help me, Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you to start. And the students turned them over. To their astonishment, every answer on the test was filled in. Their names were even written on the exam. Imagine that. Didn't have to write my name on the test. The bottom of the last page said, this is the end of the exam. All the answers on your test are correct. You will receive an A on the final exam. The reason you passed the test. It's because the creator of the test took it for you. All the work you did in preparation for this test did not help you get the A. You just experienced grace. There was no boasting after the class about my grades. There was no boasting on how hard I worked. I came to tell you that Jesus went to law school for you. Oh, yeah, he went to law school for you, and he took all of your classes for you. Indeed, he passed all of your courses. Jesus passed your course in what was the first course? Thou shall have no other gods before me. You got an A in that. He passed the other test. Thou should not steal. He got an A in that. That thou should love the Lord thy God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. You got an A in that, but you didn't get an A because you passed it yourself. You got an A because Jesus showed up to class and passed the test for you. 
And because of Jesus, we're all alumni of law school. We are all alumni of law school. We got a full ride scholarship to eternity. And so I can enter into heaven university. I'm so grateful that he got a GPA that got me into heaven. I came to tell you that Jesus passed the test for you. Where's your boasting in that? You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You can't look at the other student next to you and say, what an idiot. <laughs> Why didn't you listen to the teacher? You should have went home and studied. The Pharisees studied the law night and day, and yet they failed. I came to tell you that you can study the law. You can know the Bible backwards and forward and still miss Jesus. How do I know I miss Jesus? I'm still trying to work it out myself. I'm still trying to work it out myself. Number two, the law of faith. Come on, gospel keeps taking us lower and lower. Then what becomes of our boasting? This is what he says in the first verse. It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Do you see it, church? True faith puts no hope in self. But all his hope is in Christ. Because true saving faith sees clearly that there is nothing to offer but my brokenness. There is nothing to offer God but my sin. All that is needed for me to be saved is in Christ alone. Only saving faith can receive Christ as sufficient for salvation. People ask me all the time, Pastor, how do I know if I'm saved or going to heaven? I tell them, you ask yourself the question, is my faith real saving faith? You look at yourself and you say, well, where is my hope? Where is my confidence? And where is my boast at the end of the day? You see, faith brags in something else. We do it all the time. This is not rocket science. Faith brags in something else. If you want to know if you're saved, don't ask yourself, what have I been doing lately? Ask yourself, have I been trusting and boasting in what Christ has done alone? What does the verse say? For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. Is your faith in what you have done, or is it in what Christ has done? Heaven and hell is in the balance, depending on how you answer that question. Where, does you, where do you sit your faith? What do you sit it on? What are you looking towards? Imagine for a moment, two chairs. One is made of cardboard with a broken leg, and the other... Is made of vibranium from Wakanda. My bad, y'all. I couldn't help myself. 
Y'all got to pray for me. I need to be delivered from Wakanda. All right, let me say it again, just in case y'all missed it. Okay, we got two chairs. One is made of cardboard with a broken leg. And the other is made of vibranium from Wakanda with four strong legs. The cardboard with a broken leg will represent human works. And the vibranium one will represent Christ and all he has accomplished for our salvation. Now, the way faith works is faith takes a seat on something or it rests on something. In order for you to take a seat, you have to believe that the chair will hold you up. Now, you can believe that the cardboard chair can hold you up. You can believe that all you want, but at the end of the day, it will not hold you up. But if you place your faith in that vibranium chair, you better believe that it will hold you up. Jesus will hold you up if you sit your faith on him. For we hold, as Paul says, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. How are we made right? By faith. How do we get our record cleared? By faith. How do we get off a of death row? By faith. By faith, by faith, by faith. We must receive the gift of salvation with the arms of faith. I must take him in through faith. I must believe that he died. I must believe that he's enough. I must receive him by faith. Watch this in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 18, 10 through 15, just in case you didn't believe me. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, you know, Pharisees, they were supposed to be the holy of holies. And the tax collectors, they were no good. They were marginalized. People didn't like them. And the Pharisee, standing by himself praying, thus, watch how arrogant this dude is. God, that's how he would have said it, God, I thank you. That I am not like the other man, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need to pause there. Do you see the heart of God in this text? Do you see the heart of God in this text? God doesn't care about what you do. What he wants you to do is fall on the mercy seat. Fall at his grace. It isn't, God, I paid my tithes. God, I didn't do this. God, I didn't do that. At the end of the day, fall on your face. What did Jesus say? I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What's the difference? One man had faith in himself and the other man had faith in God. One man had faith in himself, and the other man had faith in God. 
And I'm telling you, all those who come to the cross of Jesus Christ will be set free. Let me give you an example. Nicodemus, come to me. Nicodemus came to Jesus at nighttime. He was a Pharisee, but he was realizing that there was something in Jesus that he did not have. And he came to Jesus, and Jesus did what? He set Nicodemus free. But hold on. Go over to John chapter 4, and it's called the woman at the well. She was thirsty. She was at every club and every joint trying to find peace and joy. And she finally came to Jesus. And Jesus did what? He set her soul free. I'm telling you, Jesus will set you free if you would come to him in faith, saying, God, I bring nothing. I come to you broken. I come to you messed up. I come to you with what I did last night. I come to you with everything that I've done. I come to you naked as I am, Lord. And I say, Lord, I have nothing to give you. That tax collector went home justified. That's the way you want to go home. Justified. It is clear that true salvation comes by faith alone. Faith alone excludes all human efforts to earn salvation. Listen clearly, we're talking about heaven and hell here. Faith alone leaves us with nothing in us or by us to glory in. One might say, but I choose to believe and others don't. Why is the faith that I express not itself something I can point to and say, at least I had insight to trust in Jesus? At least I get credit for that, right? The faith that saves is a gift from God, according to Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. Do you see the gravity of the gospel? God wants to pull us down off our high horse. Feel the gravity. See how the gospel is bringing us low, and it's what? Exalting God. You want to know how to point out a true gospel? Jesus is going up, and you're going down. Oh, wait, 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 way down. If you're going up, that's not the gospel. Something's wrong. You need to say, hold up. I need to get out of here. Because if you're going up in eternity, you're going way down. H-E, double hockey sticks down. Why did God engineer salvation by faith in such a way that there is nothing in us we can celebrate? Answer, sola de gloria. God's Glory alone. You better get that. God does everything for his what? Glory. You're going to be one frustrated and one angry person in life if you don't come to the grips with the fact that life is not about you. Nor is salvation. You are not at the center of salvation. You are a byproduct. God is after his glory. God is after God. And in the middle is you. All right? You're not the sinner. 
all of God's children will enter his kingdom by faith or not at all. All of his children. Paul makes this clear in the next verse. The law of no discrimination. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who would justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. What is Paul saying here? That the gospel leaves no room for discrimination. (laughs) Don't get quiet on me. All people will be saved by faith. Now, let's be real this morning. We still deal with racial discrimination in our world. It is not just in America, but all over the world. But it's not just in the world. It has crept into the church. As we consider the history of the church and we think about segregation in God's church, blacks worshiping here, whites worshiping here, that is not an expression of the gospel. Even today, we still see that most churches remain segregated. Martin Luther King said Sunday morning at 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour in America. And we ought to have a holy indignation for this. Discrimination and racism and any kind of injustice in the church should make us angry. See, this is why I love expository preaching. It's right there in the verse. Paul had to address discrimination in the Bible. This is what is going on. He's preached the gospel. He's given the bad news, landed on the good news, and now he's saying, okay, what does this mean for you? Stop hating one another. There's no room for that in the gospel. Paul had to address discrimination in the Bible. And the tension between blacks and whites or Democrats and Republicans in this country gives us a picture of the hate and discrimination between the Jews and the Gentiles. Oh, these two groups did not like each other. You go home, you read the book of Acts, and you'll see it all over the book of Acts. Paul can preach the gospel all he wants. And then when he said that uh, God has invited the Gentiles in, they were ready to kill him. They were ready to kill my man, take him out. He's going to be gone. What was the issue? The Jews were always putting themselves over the Gentiles. They were thinking they were better than the Gentiles. They treated them as if they were something uh, a little lower than animals. Listen, the God of justice hates injustice. He died because of injustice. What should burn us up the most about injustice is it undercuts the gospel. It undercuts the gospel. What makes discrimination or racism so ugly in the church is it is a false witness of the gospel. Jesus died so that we may live in harmony with one another. How will they know us? By your love for one another. (laughs) 
We see this in the church. It ought to break our hearts. Forget the world, the church. This is what he says in Ephesians. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new, what, man, in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing, what, the hostility. Christ died to end discrimination and racism in the body by what, by his own body. We have so far to go in church. I was asked the other day to define diversity, and I said, diversity is when we fall in love with the different ways God has made us. Diversity does not stop at how many blacks, Hispanics, and whites we have. No, 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 no. That's not the end of diversity. Do you enjoy and love the culture and the way that God has made your brother and sister? And can you celebrate the cross together in spite of everything else? When discrimination and racism is in the church and we don't address them in light of the gospel, two things can happen. Number one, we settle to begin to suggest that there is one way of salvation for one group of people, and then there is salvation another way for another group of people. This is what is happening in these verses. And number two, we start adding things to the gospel. It becomes Jesus plus white or Jesus plus black or Jesus plus Latino. Friends, that is heresy. It can't be Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus plus nothing else. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In Paul's day, they were suggesting in order to be saved, you must keep the law and be circumcised. You must keep the law and you must be circumcised. That would have me out right there, especially if I'm a grown man. I, I guess I'm out. Count me out. I'm not going. This is why, I know I'm crazy. This is why Paul says in our verse, who will justify, watch this, the circumcised, I mean, you got to ask the question. Paul, why do you keep talking about circumcision in the Bible? Who will justify the circumcised by faith in the what? The uncircumcised through faith. In other words, if you want to be part of God's people, you need to assimilate and be like us. It's what they were saying. You need to assimilate and be like us. But when God called us, he didn't call us to change our ethnicity or our culture. The only one we are called to conform into is Jesus. Jesus isn't calling you to change your skin color. He made you that way. And there are things about your culture that Jesus wants to keep. And why is discrimination silly? Paul gives the best answer. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one. At the end of the day, church, we are all from God. God is not just the God of the Latinos, but the God of the whites and the God of the blacks and the God of the browns and the God of the yellows. There is only one God. And we are created by him and by him alone. The same God who spoke to Moses is the same God who saves you. 
The same God who died on the cross is the same God who saves you. Oh, we all need the blood of Jesus no matter who we are. We all receive Jesus when we trust in him. And we all must sit our faith on that vibranium chair. If you haven't been sitting your faith on Jesus and you've been sitting it on your ethnicity, you need to repent and you need to turn to Jesus. So Paul comes at the Jews hard and say salvation is not by the law, it is by faith. So Paul has to deal with the issue now. My next point is does the law of faith defy gravity? Do we then overthrow, the last verse, the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Okay, Paul, what are you saying? Paul is saying, I am not nullifying the law when I preach what? Justification by faith alone apart from works of the law. Let me say that again. Paul is saying, I am not nullifying the law when I preach justification by faith alone apart from works of the law. Why does he need to say this? Because someone is going to say, Paul, you're the arrogant one. You're the one puffed up and floating because of your pride, Paul. You're the one. That is one inch off the ground. Your gospel tells people they don't need the law. They don't need the law to follow God's commands to be saved. Paul, you tell us not to defy gravity, but you're defying it by telling people to live how they want and just trust in Jesus and you'll be saved in the end. What is humble about acting as if you are above the law, Paul? Paul says this, quite to the contrary. Actually, we fulfill the law. How, Paul? You just said we were saved apart from the law. How can you fulfill the law? Because when we are saved, not only are we justified by the blood, but we receive a new heart, and this new heart gives us the ability to walk in love. I want to make sure you catch that. When we receive Jesus by faith, yes, our sins are forgiven and we are justified in totality, but it doesn't stop there. God also gives us a new heart. God puts in us, the Holy Spirit, a God-sized weight to keep you from floating. It is by the Holy Spirit that we walk by love. Watch this in Romans 13.10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. <laughs> I don't understand why I didn't cuss her out when she said that to me. I don't understand why I'm not angry? Because God has given you a new heart to change how you respond. Oh, we're getting at the human condition here. We're getting at the human condition. You know Amazon got that thing. What is it called? Amazon Echo, right? 
You, you, or Alexa, Alexa, you just say, Alexa, do this. And what does Alexa do? Alexa, play James Brown. And what does Alexa do? She puts on James Brown for you. Alexa, play this song. Alexa, you just command Alexa what to do, and she does it. But if Alexa is unplugged, if Alexa doesn't have any batteries, you can command her all you want. She will not respond to you. And the issue with human beings is that God is commanding, but we don't have any power to carry out what he's asking us to do. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we receive power not only to be saved, but power to do what he commands us to do. This is the power of the gospel. Therefore, who any, anyone who wants to come, let him come. Because God's grace is deeper than our sins. So if it's the drug addict, let him come. If it's the prostitute, let her come. It doesn't matter. The porn star, let him come. The thief, let him come. Because Jesus is greater than any sin that can hold us. I came to tell you that if you come to Jesus, he'll free you. Because whom the Son set free is free. Indeed, when God frees you, can't no devil lock you back up. When God frees you, can't no sin lock you back up. I came to tell you, if you've been struggling with sin and you've been wondering, how can I get out of it? I came to tell you, you better come to Jesus. He's a way maker. He's the burden bearer. He's the sin breaker. I'm telling you, the same God who got out of the grave, the same God who reigns on high, lives inside of those who trust in him. I came to tell you. You've been wondering, God, why can't I get over this thing? Why can't I beat this thing? And I'm telling you, you can't beat it. You got to put your trust in the one who has beat it already. I like the way that John Piper puts it. He says it this way. He says the only sin that we can overcome is sin that has been defeated already. And Jesus has defeated all sin. And you've been trusting in yourself. You've been looking to yourself. You've been looking in your own house trying to figure out a way to get free when Jesus has already made you free through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to look to circumcision. You don't have to look to works of the law. All you got to do is say, I trust him and just sit right there. Because in just a minute, he's going to transform that life. He's going to make you, oh, the Bible says any man be in Christ is a new creature. The old is gone. The new is here. I came to tell you that Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you be born again, you cannot what? See the kingdom of God. Why are you talking about birth and stuff, Jesus? Because you just don't need commands. You just don't need God to tell you what to do. You actually need God to give you power to do so. And when you look to Jesus, he reaches inside of you. He does a heart surgery. He plucks that heart of stone out. He puts in that heart of flesh. And all of a sudden, I got joy I ain't never had. I got peace I ain't never had. I'm praying like I never prayed before. I'm reading my word. I don't know where that came from. I even got me a, I haven't got me a Bible case just to go with it. I'm feeling so good, I started going to church. I started hating my sin. I kicked them out. I kicked her out. Because of what? Because God, when he changes you, you get free and you get loose. I'm preaching the gospel this morning. I want some folks to get free this morning. If you would come to Jesus, what does he say? Come to me. All you 
who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. I want you to get this, church, because we can shout about it, but I want you to know that it is true that if you place your trust in Jesus Christ, listen to me, there is no, nothing you can do. Nothing. I don't care how broken you are this morning. I don't care what you did yesterday. Jesus is available to you. And if you trust in him, I promise you on the authority of the Bible, I will see you in heaven someday. So, with that being said, what do we have to boast in? Worship team is coming back at this time. If we had an eternal debt, we had an eternal debt that we could not pay. We were fully deserving of the wrath of God. Instead of getting punished in eternal fire, we are saved by grace through faith. And our entire salvation is a gift. We are counted as righteous. We get to be sons and daughters of God. We have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead at work in us, empowering us to walk right. All of this was organized and accomplished by the Holy Trinity. Tell me this morning, what can you boast in? Tell me who doesn't need this salvation. Tell me how you can boast in anything. Tell me what do you have that God has not given to you. Tell me what becomes of human boasting. When Superman saves the day, do you know what those who are rescued is doing? They're celebrating and boasting in themselves. No, instead they are boasting in Superman. We ought to boast in Jesus. Friends, this is the gravity of the gospel. The gospel brings us low. The gospel strips us of all human pride. The lower we go, the higher we see Christ. The gospel exalts God. And may we be able to echo the words of Paul. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in, in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The gospel makes much of Christ. He is our all in all. He is our everything. Jesus is the goat. So what does that mean for you? In all you're getting, get Christ. In all you're pursuing, pursue Christ. In all of your knowing, strive to know Christ. In all of your boasting, boast in Christ. Let us all bow down and worship him.